Thanks for coming today. You know, it's a lot going on. A lot to remember and a lot to think about and um, a lot to focus on. And uh, we are uh, it, we're really glad you're starting your fall with us because today really kind of is an earmark for us of, of, our, of our fall just fully being in around here. And, um, and I don't know if it's just um, the advance of social media or if it's... Uh, the 24 new hour news cycle that now is part of our lives, but it it just seems to me, and I don't know if you feel this, but it just seems to me like the rate of with which you we see these occurrences of things that happen that you just go, what, really? That 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 rate seems to be accelerating, and so we're starting a series today called "So That Just Happened." Because there's so many things that happen around us, and they just come one after another, it seems like, where you say, really? No no way. I can't believe that happened. And what it does is leaves us asking ourselves questions like, what are we supposed to do with that? What are we, how are we supposed to react to that? What, what's my response supposed to be? And the added element of me and a lot of us in the room being people who have said, we want to know how to live life with God. We want we, we have entered into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. We name his name, and so we want him to be kind of the center of our lives. We want to, if he is the prescriber of how life works, we want to say, well, what's your way? How do you want us to react to this? What do you want us to do? It just, there is just a whole lot of stuff that happens relentlessly, and we go, I don't even know what to do with that. And so we're going to take a few weeks just to kind of pause and ask the question, so what are we supposed to do with the stuff that's happening around us? And if you think about it, that stuff, you, you can't really keep up with it because even just in the last month, we've seen stuff happen where you just go, what? We've had a, a gold medal winning Olympic swimmer who dyed his hair blonde and claimed he was robbed at gunpoint at Rio and then he's exposed for lying when in reality he vandalized a store and they've been stopped by security and then he gets suspended by USA Swimming and he promptly joins a new season of Dancing with the Stars. I don't know what to do with that. We have a former New York congressman who three, five years ago resigned in disgrace for sexting illicit pictures of himself. And now he's exposed for the third time, Anthony Weiner, for having sex with someone who's not his spouse. And the headlines write themselves. This week we have a woman who wants to take vengeance on her ex-boyfriend, and so she finds his car, and she sets fire to his car, and it burns up, and then it's found out that it's not his car. It's a complete stranger's car. And then we've got Jared Fogle, the ex-subway spokesman serving time in prison for child pornography and sex with minors, and he countersues one of the parents of one of his victims for contributing to her delinquency. And we go... Huh? And then we've got a pro athlete who tried his hand in football and signed with the team and couldn't make it. And then he goes and decides to play baseball and he has a tryout and 28 teams come and look and no one wants to sign him. And then Tim Tebow gets signed to a minor league contract by the New York Mets. <laughs> I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. What are we supposed to do with the stuff that's happening around us? And as a, 
on a societal level. Okay, what, what, how, what are we supposed to make of it? Are there, what, is, what does it indicate? Anything? And what, am I, what are we supposed to do on a personal level? How am I supposed to respond when stuff happens? How am I supposed to navigate this and participate in it and respond? And so what we're going to do is we're going to just take something that happened and say, well, that just happened or is happening and kind of say, okay, let's step back from it and say, it, here's, here's what is true for me. See, I personally believe that religion is not just a quadrant of my life. It was never supposed to be. It's not just something I dabble in on Sundays. It's not something I, I sign and say, what do I believe? It's actually what I'm involved in is a relationship with a real person, a real God who walks with me through the day. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, who says, I've been, I've been connected with the God of all and the Lord of all, and this is his world, then I want to know, okay, what do you want me to do with this? That's how I'm approaching this. Now, let me just say this. If you are a, a spiritual seeker, if you're considering what it means to be in a relationship with God, you're not sure you've crossed the line of faith, that's fine. We're glad you're here. But you're going to get a perspective today and in these weeks of what thinking through this from the perspective of somebody who's crossed that line. So if and when you do, and we hope you will, and you consider who Jesus is and what he offers you, then what? Then what are we supposed to make of the stuff that's going on in our world? So we're just going to pick one and then let that serve as our platform to say, okay, God, what do you say about this whole kind of a general area? And so today we're going to land on something that's happening right now in our culture. And that is that there's a whole lot going on about what we're supposed to do about the national anthem. So here's what happened. During the preseason football for three weeks in a row, Colin Kaepernick, who's a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, he sat during the national anthem to make a statement. And then when he got some pushback about the military and vets and what he might be dishonoring them, he decided in the last preseason game to take a knee. He was joined by others in some doing that by demonstrating against social injustice and police brutality. Fox News has just put together a little summary, a two-minute summary of what, that, what that's all about. And just to refresh us, we want you to take a look at what, what has been happening with that. So that just happened, and it continues to happen because it's a fluid situation, and the reactions have been very, very polarizing, and I bet that if you've paid attention to it, we have some very strong opinions right here in the room about it, don't we? And we have some people probably on both sides of that. In fact, it has been really polarizing in our country because since that time, Megan Rapino, who you saw, said she was going to do that in her soccer matches. At their next game against the Washington Spirit, they... The, the Washington team played the national anthem early before the players got out so that they would disrupt her disruption. Brandon Marshall took a knee at the NFL's kickoff game this past Thursday. The next day, the Air Academy Federal Credit Union dropped him as their spokesperson. John Tortorella, the coach of the Team USA hockey team playing in the World Cup, told all his players, if you sit during the national anthem, you'll be benched the entire game. And, Brand, and Colin Kaepernick's jersey is now the top-selling jersey in all the NFL. Today is the opening day, opening Sunday of the NFL season, and they're going to be watching to see who does what and who says what. And there are people who've come out in support of his right to do this, the right to free speech. Broadcaster Stephen A. Smith has done it. The San Francisco 49ers organization has done it. Hall of Famer Jim Brown, Hall of Famer Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 35 U.S. veterans wrote an essay in support of him. Multiple NFL players, some again who, whom plan to kneel during today's events. And John Harbaugh, coach of the 
Baltimore Ravens is in support. Those against him include the San Francisco Police Union, Jerry Rice, the Hall of Famer, Drew Brees, who's a future Hall of Famer, Rick Monday, who famously once saved the flag in 1976 at Dodger Stadium from uh, those attempting to burn it, and Jim Harbaugh, University of Michigan. Oh, should I say that? Am I allowed to say it has polarized even families and what they, what they say and what they do. Okay, now I'm going to just spoil it. Here's a spoiler for you. I'm not going to give you my opinion on that today. I'm not going to tell you you should. In fact, I, 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 have, I feel obligated to not do that because I don't think I can tell you from Scripture whether or not you should land one way or another. You already might be offended with me for saying that. Okay, but what we're, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look and say, Okay, what is, what's the bigger picture of what's being asked here? And how does it affect where we live and what we do? Because there are questions that emerge, and especially as we now are in a very contentious election season. We're going to elect a new president. And, the, and the, the role of government and our view of government, how we treat government, what we respond to government, how do you function under an imperfect country where even evil is done in the name of that country? Should you and I pledge our allegiance to a human government? What's the proper means of participating or affecting or opposing aspects of it that you don't, that you hold convictions about? Because let's face it, there are leaders and authorities in our world and, in, and under whom you live right now who hold to completely different values than you do, one way or the other, right? And they may engage in activities that, are fundam- that you fundamentally disagree with. And so we're going to take a look at some principles from the Bible. And I want to invite you to a handful of passages of Scripture, but the first one is in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have access to a Bible today in any form, I invite you to take a look with me at 1 Peter 2. I'm going to show you some on the, on the screen, but, also, but I'm going to read some longer passages with you or for you if you, uh, if you could follow along. 1 Peter 2 toward the end of the New Testament. And here's the first thing we want, we're going to see about this. And again, I'm speaking to those who have crossed the line of faith and who have said, I have declared myself a subject of and a believer in, a follower in, the one who's called the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. He is declared to be that role, that office. So if you are in that category with me, there's something that's true about you. And that's this, that you currently hold dual citizenship in two kingdoms, at least two. You're a citizen of the country you are in or born in, and you're declared a citizen of a new nation. And God uses that terminology to describe his people. He says he is creating his own people, his own nation. He uses the people of Israel as a backdrop for that, but he says it's a community of faith. It's, a, it's the kingdom of heaven, and it's peopled by those who have put their trust in their king. Tom said, uh, uh, Tom Burns said a couple weeks ago, he made a, a point about the fact that the kingdom of heaven exists right now. It's not just heaven when we get there. It's under his authority. You're living under an imperfect kingdom because there's still sin in it, but it still has a, a king ruling over it. It's the kingdom of your heart. So 1 Peter 2 talks about that, and it's something very interesting to me anyway, gets said uh, by Peter when he talks about this. So, so first he's talking about the fact that we have been made into a new citizenship. I'm going to start with verse 9 of 1 Peter 2. You, 
He's, he's contrasting those who are going to be apart from God and his kingship. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And then he uses this phrase, you're a holy nation, a people. And that's a people group, but it's also in the context of like a nation like Israel has been. But a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so here's, here's, because that's true, he calls on us to live a certain way in our here and now. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, like somebody who is traveling through a different country from them, their homeland, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, most times we stop right there when we read this passage. But read the next verse and beyond it, and you'll see what he puts right next to each other in this passage. That you're as a kingdom that you're functioning in. There's a, king, a new king that you're under, and you are called to the rights and privileges of that kingdom. There's a way to live under that king and in that kingdom. And immediately afterwards, without separation in the original text, it says... Submit yourselves, this is verse 13, to the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live like free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as servants of God. And then look at this great, great verse, verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. That's small k king. That's the human level king under which you are also under his authority. There are two different kingdoms and two different kinds of kings. Now, some of you in the room actually may hold dual citizenship in our world right now. There there, there are a number of Americans who hold dual citizenship. Our our country allows dual citizenship. You might have been bought... uh, born overseas you might have immigrated you you may there's a whole lot of different uh scenarios in which dual citizenship is granted so you can be walking around carrying saying i'm a citizen of the united states and i'm also a citizen of another country at the same time it is interesting to me that when our country uh, grants citizenship to somebody a second citizenship even when they come dual citizens they have to make immigrants have to take this kind of this is part of the oath some of you have probably taken this oath. Listen to what it says. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of which or of whom or which I have heretofore been a cit- subject or citizen. That doesn't really sound like equal citizenship, does it? Well, yeah, you can be a, a, a dual citizen around here, except not really, because We're going to make you renounce everything that would be true of the other country that you've been part of. We do that so that we don't have problems when it comes to loyalty. But here's what's true, regardless whether you have that on earthly kingdoms or not. I am walking around with dual citizenship. I'm a citizen of an earthly government, and I'm also a citizen of a very, very real heavenly government, which God says superintends over the other one. So I am, I am obligated to the kingdom of heaven higher than I'm obligated to the kingdom of earth. But you see in the same exact passage two things. Look, you're in a kingdom of God, and so live like it. 
Live like somebody who's, live like aliens and strangers in the world. Don't give in to the mores of your society. You're called to a different standard. Live like it. Oh, by the way, at the same time, submit yourself to the authorities of this kingdom that you're living in. Because they exist under God's authority too. They have a purpose in your life. How do you do that? Each has responsibilities and we're called to uphold them. And so, you, here's, here's what's true. What, even, even in smaller levels, you and I know this is true. You are going to regularly find yourself under the authority of an institution of some kind with which you have deep, deep disagreements that's led by really, really flawed people that engages in practices that completely violate God's ways. Don't you have that? A whole lot of us work for companies that engage in business practices that you know are in violation of what God has said his people should do, right? You're aware of some of them in your company. You're aware that you live in, in, underneath the authority of companies that are selling products sometimes that you don't want people to get. Engaging in practices in order to make money that you don't want to, to be associated with. What do you do with that? Should you quit that company? Some of us root for sports teams or universities, sports teams, where the university has practices going on that we would say they violate everything that we hold to be true and dear. But does that, so what does that mean? Should I not support the sports team because they're associated with a flawed authority? Some of us are under coaches or teachers or principals that that violate those things and and so where's the line am i supposed to not help them be successful in doing what they do because they're flawed am i not supposed to pledge my support all right so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna look at a handful of principles that god's gonna give and this is this is about how we look at authority in our life how we look at government in our life and how we live in those two uh at simultaneously operating kingdoms. And so I want to invite you to turn to another passage, all right? If you've got your Bible available, Romans chapter 13. And here's what you're going to see there. And here, here's, one of, here's the principle, one of the first principle God's going to give us about how are we supposed to act under this government? First of all is this. He says, okay, obey the laws of the kingdom you inhabit. Obey the laws. Even the ones you don't like, even the ones that cost you, even the ones you, di- you disagree with, with the exception of if that law directly requires you to violate God's law. Otherwise, obey those laws. That's where you listen to Romans 13, 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority, notice, no authority except that which God has established. There's a whole lot we could talk about this, but there is no authority kingdom-wise that God isn't aware of and God isn't allowing, even the oppressors. He's aware of it, and for some reason he's allowing it. He may not be directly supportive of it, but he, it's under his, the canopy of his, his greater sovereignty. It doesn't matter who the, who the dictator in North Korea is, there's something going on that is still related to God. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment for themselves. Now, I, I hope that I just evoked some questions for you that we could talk about in cell groups this week. Let's keep going. 
Rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Do what's right. He'll commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why, oh great, here we go. This is why you have to pay taxes. It's right in, it's right in there. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full-time governing, give everyone what you owe him. And here's a, here's a great little summary statement. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. And that's monetary versus material, uh, actual material holdings. If respect, then pay respect. If honor, then honor. Unless they directly violate the king's law, the king of king's law. Okay, so Peter and John have to say in Acts chapter 4 to the authorities who tell them, you are forbidden to speak in the name of this Jesus. And they say, yeah, thanks for that, but we have to obey God rather than man. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the friends of Daniel, when they're asked to bow to a fault, to an idol, they say, yeah, you know what? We're not, I can't go for that. No, can do. Whatever it costs me, that I can't do. But other than those things, there are laws. Obey the laws of the kingdom you inhabit. And you could wait a minute, wait a minute, but I can't drive 55. I, I mean, I, here we go. I, you know, what? obey the laws of the kingdom you inhabit. We could say more about that, but here's the second thing that we already read and we'll see again. The second thing is honor the king of the kingdom you inhabit. Honor the king. Or the, it, for us, it would be presidents or authorities or mayors of cities, whatever they may be. Honor that person who is, who is the one over the kingdom you inhabit. We just saw in First Peter 2, 17, it says, it says, fear God and, and honor the king. Two different kings, right? Parallel at the same time. You fear God. There's a deeper level for him. But you still honor the king. This gets, this gets repeated in Scripture. Here's Proverbs 19.21. Fear the Lord and the King, my son. Do not join with the rebellious. We just saw Romans 13.7. Here it is again. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the King. Jesus himself did this. Now, you remember, if you study at all about Jesus and when he lived, he's under the Roman Empire which the Jews hated because they were oppressed by them. They felt completely um, overwhelmed by them. They were, there were constant rebellions to overthrow the government, to be free because we are God's people. We need to be free. And Jesus intersected with that government, which he knew to be corrupt in many, many ways. And when he did, he was asked a whole lot of questions about it. But here's what I want to, I want you to kind of just poke you with today. That Jesus himself acknowledged and submitted to, and can I even say this? He indirectly supported and funded the practices of Rome. He did it by paying his taxes. Here's, here's an example of that, and this comes from Matthew 17. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, a collection of the two drachma tax came to Peter. Now, there were temple taxes and there were government taxes, but you're going to notice that Jesus is going to lump them together when he gives his commentary on this. 
And they came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? But, hey, wait, what's, what's his stance toward the Rome and the government and, and those authorities over him? And Peter, I don't know why he decides to just go ahead and answer. He goes, yes, he does. And he's probably going, I don't know. I've never I, That's a good question. And it's funny, as Jesus knows he's coming, notice that he, Jesus answers him when he walks back in the house or wherever they are. Before he even can ask the question, Jesus initiates the answer. So when Peter comes in the house, Jesus was the first to speak. He goes, hey, hey, Simon, Simon Peter, what, what do you think about this? From whom do the kings of the earth collect the duty and taxes? So he's not just talking about religious leaders. He's talking about Rome. From whom do they collect their taxes? Do they collect them from their sons, you know, their personal friends, their relations, or from others? And Peter's answer is, well, they collect them from others. And this is Jesus. So then the sons are exempt, right? Now, Jesus is going to make a point here because he, he, he has an identity. It's, it's almost... It's almost comical to think that the king over all creation, the king of kings, the one who created and owns everything in it, has his son come to earth, and people want to say he owes them something. So so the son's exempt. He's saying, see, I'm a son of the king, so I should be exempt, right? Technically, I should not have to pay taxes on what I own because I'm actually the one who collects the taxes on it. So, he, but then he says, but, so that may, we may not offend them, let's do this. Go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Go and pay, take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. It never says it, but I, it, it's implied that that's exactly what happened. So Jesus actually, can we say it this way? He supported a government that he knew was flawed, that he knew was going to use some of what he gave for atrocities. How could he do that? Did that not violate something? There was something that was true about his support for the government. He didn't demand that they be the government of God. He didn't demand that they be perfect. He was called on to be a faithful follower of the true God existing in the second citizenship he carried. There's this practice um, in the Old Testament in, the, in a lot of the lands, and it's a common phrase that got used when somebody would dress the king. And it, you still hear of it in our, in our, where there's royalty, like uh, they talk about long live the king. You've heard the phrase long live the king. A very similar phrase got used in various nations, and the phrase was this, may the king live forever, may the king live forever. Or king live forever. When you would greet the king, you would wish that he would live forever, which was really an arrogant thing to request that people say to you. Yeah, that's right. I'm the king. And wouldn't it be great if I could just keep living because then we'd all be great because I'm such a perfect king. But that was kind of what they required of people. It was kind of like a salute. It was like an act of submission. It was an act of support. And it was like, king live forever. King live forever. Now, here's why I'm telling you about that. It's because several times God's people intersected with those pagan governments and those kings. And some of the, and a whole, it was not uncommon for God's people, even when they were captured and taken into captivity by the Assyrians, Babylonians, the, the Persians, that they would rise up and actually have roles in the government. They would work for the government of a pagan government, a godless government, a, a polytheistic government, a, a, a government of, full of idolatry, but they would rise up and serve in that government. And on multiple occasions, God's people, who would not compromise otherwise, are presented with the king... And so Nehemiah 
goes to the king, who's a pagan king, when he wants, and asks him a question about what he needs or what he wants. And Nehemiah's greeting to the, to the king is, King, live forever. Really? Is that okay to say that? If they don't think that's bad, think about Daniel. Okay, Daniel's the guy who's like, he's our hero, man. That guy, that guy, he did not compromise. He would not bow. He would not, he was willing. I mean, he was in high, he, but he, would, he was raised up in, in the Babylonian empire to be a leader within it. And in his training, all he's, he's doing well. And then he's presented with the, this presentation where he's got to, he, he can't, he's got to only pray to the God who is the king. And he's not allowed to pray to his God, and he chose, chooses, he says, sorry, can't do that. He's thrown in the lion's den, and you might have heard the story, right? And God closes the mouth of the lion. He's in there all night, and the king, who really has affection for Daniel, goes the next day to see what he figures is a carcass, and Daniel is alive and well. And he says, Daniel, he's calling into this pit. He says, are you okay? And you know what Daniel's first words are? O king, live forever. Really? I mean, shouldn't Daniel's first words have been, you slime ball? You are going to get it because the God of the universe is going to show you. He shut the mouth of the lion and you are getting it, man. You are. Why wouldn't he do that? Why would he say, O king, live forever? Unless, on some way, God's way is to say, you know what? You can honor the king without dishonoring the capital K king. I have a friend who um, is an immigrant from the former Soviet Union. I was talking to him just recently. And he asked me a question because he was perplexed. He's, he's, he's become a Christian. And he was in church. And I think it might have been around the 4th of July. And the church, as part of their service, invited everybody to stand and say the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, that's not uncommon in some churches. And there's a whole lot of mixture of Christianity and nationalism that happens in our world. There's a whole other topic I don't want to get into. But he said he was troubled because in the Soviet Union, they had a pledge. And they were required to say the pledge. And he said the pledge was a pledge to the Union as the great sovereign of the world. And the pledge, he said, this is how he said it, it called down curses. In the pledge, it was calling down curses on those who were the enemies of this nation. He was oppressed in that nation. He loves this country. He says, but now I go to a country that isn't, this isn't God's kingdom. This is just, a, it's a better kingdom, but it's, and now they're asking me to pledge my allegiance to it. What if, and he said, he, this is what he said he decided to do. He said, he stood up and he thought, well, the pastor's doing it, so I guess I'll do it too. And I'll tell you what, that was very daunting for me to hear that. The responsibility that comes with standing in front of other people and saying what I do, so just as an example. He said, what should I do? And I didn't really have an answer for him, but my mind went back to what Daniel did. Which, in essence, what I think Daniel was doing, what I think Nehemiah is doing, and what I think what the Scripture is calling us to do is to say, you live, live as a good citizen who honors God in both, both countries. Which means there's a way that you can say, I am for, I'm going to support the idea of what this country is about without having to say I support every aspect of it. 
but having to declare that I'm, my, all my allegiance is to it. That's under the understanding that is insofar as I can obey the bigger kingdom by functioning in this kingdom, sure, I'll be supportive. Now, again, we could talk a whole lot more about that, but you're not affirming or supporting everything that's under its banner, but you're saying as God's appointee over me, I'll honor this position, this office. And then quickly after that, I think God says this about living in both kingdoms. He says, now, having done that, get involved in it. Be an agent within the government that you live and the ways the decisions get made. So, so we have obey the laws of the kingdom you inhabit, honor the king of the kingdom you inhabit, and participate in the process of the kingdom you inhabit. There, this, the, the example of God's people has always been that they will use and leverage all avenues available to them to steer their environment toward righteousness more to fall in line with the ways of, the, of the, the greater kingdom, to advance justice and to just advance their own purposes. You know, Paul was being accused and he was going to be taken, uh, he, they wanted to put him to death, the apostle Paul, for evangelizing. And they're going to try him in a, in a way. And in Acts 22, he, he, they, they, they have, they've beaten him. And the laws of the land are that as a, a Roman citizen is not supposed to be flogged publicly. And so they're, gonna, they're talking about what they're going to do. And, he, and, and you know what Paul does? He pulls out his Roman citizen card because he was born one. He goes, really? going to do that to a Roman citizen? And they all go, you're a Roman citizen? Guy goes, I paid a lot for my citizenship. He goes, no, I was born one. And it freaked them out. They, go, they don't know what to do. So now they've got to go through the proper channels. Why did Paul do that? You know what I think he did? He said, I'm going to use whatever tools available for me in this government to advance the causes that I'm committed to. If I can use the processes they've got, I'm going to do it. He writes to the Corinthians about when they come to faith, what they're supposed to do in the environment they're in. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 7. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, he says, if you can gain your freedom, do it. Exercise what's available to you to do that. Sure, you can, you can attain your freedom, then do it. Use the system. The Old Testament is full of people who use the system of Assyria and Babylon and Persia and other and Rome. They use the system in order to advance the cause of their greater king. Joseph did it in Egypt. Nehemiah did it. David did it. John the, John the Baptist even said to Roman soldiers, they were coming to faith, Roman soldiers. And they go, what are we supposed to do? He said, repent. The king is coming. It's the king. And they go, these are people who are serving under another king. They go, what are we supposed to do? You know what he doesn't say to them? Oh, defect. You can't serve there. He goes, be content with your wages. Treat people better. Respect people. Which implies stay a Roman soldier. But you can live for that other kingdom in that environment. Can I, I'm just going to aside say this, all right? We've got, I, I am dead set against trying to be political around here. I'm, 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 much, I'm committed to the greater kingdom. I, I'm here to say, I'm here to lift up the king of kings and to say if he, we follow him, then other things won't matter nearly as much, right? But I'll also tell you this. You need to vote. Just because it's what good citizens do 
You need to look for ways to use the system that you've got to, with the idea to say, I want to bring God's perspective in whatever way I can into the environment I'm living. But let me also say this. We are all freaked out about an election. We are all freaked out about what's going to happen if one person wins or another person wins, how it's going to affect the church, how it's going to affect religion, how it's going to affect freedoms. There's a whole, and, and I will tell you that you're sitting among people on both sides of that aisle who feel very, very strongly about it. It's not one or the other, but, you, but there are a whole lot of us who have just gotten really, really intense about the fact that this is a moment that is going to make us or break us as, as a nation, and it's going to make us and break us as followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you that the kingdom of God is going to flourish, and it's going to grow, and it's going to conquer, and it was going to prevail regardless who sits in the White House. Do you know that it is not even a hard study to figure this out? That the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message, people coming to faith in him, people growing in their faith, has far more happened in under governments that are oppressive, that are persecuting, than governments that give them freedom. Now, I want freedom. I don't want to suffer. Sign me up for it being easier. I'll take it. But if we think that the that the kingdom of heaven is going to rise or fall based on one person or one party or one election, we vastly underestimate the power of the king of kings. That king is going to prevail. That king's kingdom will come. We, we pray for that kingdom to come. We serve that kingdom. We don't compromise for that kingdom, but we don't panic. We shouldn't. We get involved and we trust. And watch what he does. Watch how, how people will come to faith. You know that one of the greatest areas where the gospel is reaching right now is in the country of Jordan. You don't hear about it in the news, but people, Muslims, are turning to Christ in Jordan right now because they are so disillusioned what's happening with what Muslims are doing. And they're saying there must be something else. And they're being introduced to the true king. And it is violating everything that we would expect happen in our world. Watch what God does. Watch how much greater his power is. Sometimes I think that we thwart God's displays of his power because we want to make it so easy for him to get this stuff done that it just happens naturally. And God says, no, the light shines brightest when it's shining in contrast to darkness. Watch what he does. But participate in the process. And then just throw this in there. Seek and, uh, and uphold justice in the kingdom, you inhabit. I mean, a lot of people use this as a life verse. Micah 6, 8. He has showed you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And we love this. Some of you have it on a wall somewhere. or You have it committed to memory. But you know what the first thing he says he wants? Look at it. Act justly. That doesn't just mean be nice to people. That means find ways to and help justice happen around you. Proverbs 31 puts it this way, and this is spoken to a king, by the way. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Seek it out and uphold justice in the purview you've got. You are Look, you're not responsible to make America a Christian nation. You're not responsible to make sure that its elected officials are all following God. But you know what you are responsible for? To contribute to the advance of righteousness in your purview. How can you do that? Can you do it in your workplace? Can you do it, can you do it in your school? Can you be somebody who says, 
when, when I take my tests, I do it with justice. Everybody else cheats, I'm not going to cheat. Can you do it with the standards you enact in, in your place of business? Can you do it in your home? Can you do it in your greater society? Can you run for office and enact those things? Absolutely. And God would, I, I believe, absolutely affirm that. But along with that, he's going to tell us another thing he wants us to do, and that is to pray. No, pray. Yeah, I, I, I can pray for the, the, in the Lord's Prayer part. Your kingdom come, right? Your will be done. Kingdom. God, this is what I really want. I want your kingdom to come. Your will be done on earth as it is, is in heaven. Yeah, that's what I'd love to have happen. But you know what else I'm asked to pray for? Here's what I'm asked to pray for, 1 Timothy 2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And look at the first on the list. For kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. I'm not going to beat on you for this, but let me just ask you, do you pray for the candidate that you can't stand? Do you pray for them? Do you? I'm asking myself, because you know what? I don't. And this week I've been convicted about that. What I want to do is pray imprecatory prayers, which is calling down God's wrath. But it's like, (laughs) boom, take them out, boom. Take them all out, I don't care. God, just do something different. But you know what? You're... That's what, that's what it means to function in both kingdoms. You earnestly say, okay, I may not, I may not like them. I may not agree with them, but I'm going to ask God, would you bless them? Would you help them to reflect your character, even if they don't know you, in what they say and do and choose and how they lead? Pray for them. And here's the last thing. And this is, this is more than just a phrase in a verse that we a lot of us have heard. But is is absolutely true. To what, to what we're called to do in this is, regardless how many, how many nations you are a citizen of, regardless what all you're involved in, live for, stand for, advance, serve the King of Kings and His kingdom above every other loyalty you've got. Every other loyalty. One more, one more verse to share with, or passage to share with you is in Matthew 22. And this is uh, verse 15 and following. The Pharisees went out, laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent his, their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity. You te- they're being sarcastic or you know, they're trying to catch him. You, you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men, blah, blah, blah. They're just buttering it up. They're trying to catch him, all right? And then they say, so tell us then, in your opinion, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The same elements are true. Everybody's looking at him like, uh-oh. What's he going to say? Everybody's waiting for a sound bite. This is going to get on CNN headline news. This is, they're waiting for, they're going to, this is, this is what they're going to, the other party's going to use to say, can you believe what they just said? This is, this is how it's working right here. I Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? All right, show me a coin. Hand me a coin that you pay taxes with. And they brought him a denarius, and he asked, and it's got a picture of Caesar on it, inscribed, and it says, whose whose portrait's on it? And they said, that's Caesar's, Caesar's portrait. And he said, and you probably, you might be familiar with this. He said, so give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And they're all going, And they don't know what to say, right? They're, they're stumped. I just love this. And they just kind of turned tail and run. When they heard this, they, went, they were amazed. So they left him. They went away. Oh, 
okay, we'll get back to you. And they go, what do you got for the news? And he goes, oh, I don't know. He messed us up. <laughs> but there is a, a major point that he said, look, you've got allegiances. Be responsible for your allegiances. And they, you're responsible there. But always understand that your greatest allegiance, the greatest call in your life, the greatest authority to whom you answer has to always be the one who is the king over the kings, the one who is the Lord over the lords. And that's why this verse, which so many of us know by heart, look at it again. He's talking about, oh, you're worrying about all kinds of things. How are you going to pay the bills? How are you going to have a place to stay? How are you going to have clothing? And he, and he, but he says this, but seek first, what? His kingdom. The ways of the right king live for that kingdom. Reflect his character in, in your choices and your behaviors with, with other people and in your standards and your practices. Do that. And his righteousness. Do things the way he has, he has prescribed human beings to live. And God, the king, is going to take care of all the other stuff. He'll make sure you get fed and clothed and sheltered. Let me just ask you, you everybody in the room has got causes you support, right? And some of us are very passionate about a certain cause. There's, there's feeding the poor or there's uh, dealing with the home, homeless. There's, there's um, clean water initiatives. There's all disease uh, elimination. There's just all kinds. There's oppressed peoples that you want to rally around and you want to see them treated fairly. That's fantastic. Let me just ask us this. I'm just going to ask it. The passion that you have for that, the energy you put into it, the commitment you have to understanding it, is it possible for you to take that level of passion, commitment, understanding, and say that that is not as great as the level of passion and commitment and understanding you give to one thing, and that is, I'm going to live as a citizen of the King of Kings. I'm going to live like He would live. I'm going to talk like He would talk. I'm going to keep to the standards for my behaviors, my, my moral choices. My priorities, I'm going to hold those things. I'm going to be so committed. My passions are going to be so strong for that that it makes the other one seem diminished. Do you have that level of passion? The invitation of God, regardless whether you stand or sit for an anthem, regardless whether you put your hand over your heart or not for a pledge, regardless whether you are for one party or another party or how you vote in an election, the call of God on us is to say, make your absolute greatest stand to say, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that will superintend over everything else I do. I will reflect the character and the ways and the love of the God who made me above all else. Would you say to him today, I'm ready to sign up to make that commitment? Pray with me.